Well, something I've realized as I've gotten married is that you tend to like see the selfishness in yourself. You tend to see that, wow, any other relationship I've had before this has been very, very selfish. I tend to focus on myself a lot, what I can get out of the relationship. Even if it wasn't a bad relationship, I tend to focus on what I could have gotten out of it. Um, and then as I've gotten married, I realize I still do that, yet because this marriage and this relationship is for the rest of my life, I can't do that. And I need to serve more than I receive. And I need to also not expect anything when I do it too. And as we come to this passage of scripture tonight, I think it's important that we understand Christ was not in it to get something from us. In fact, he laid it all down and didn't expect anything in return. In fact, that's how the rest of scripture talks about a marriage relationship is the husband submit to your wives and lay your life down for her like Christ did for the church. And wives submit back in order to love the husband. And it's not out of expectation, but it's out of I love you so I give you everything I have. And so tonight, we're going to talk about that. But first, I need to remind us of what we talked about. Last week, Josh brought an awesome uh, message out of chapter one in our series of Out of Control. And so now I get to remind you, I get to recap with you what did he talk about. So first, he said one of two things, talking about these verses 27 through 30. And it says, let our lives be one of two things. One, worthy of living for Christ. And two, a sacrifice or suffering for him. So as we live a life that's worthy for Christ, that means everything we do, everything we portray, our life is changed because of the gospel. So our lives ought to be worthy of living for him. And then the second one is something we don't like hearing, a sacrifice for him, a suffering for him. I'm sure that's your favorite thing to do every day, sacrifice and suffer, right? I'm sure in this anxious world we live in, we just love hearing, you should suffer more. No. You probably hear, okay, you got to do what's best for you. You got to do what makes you happy. But Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, nah, you got to suffer for Jesus, man. If you want to live for Christ, you live a life of suffering. And that's what Josh told us last week, is the gospel worth living for is one of suffering. It's one of sacrificing for Christ daily, okay? And so now we work into this uh, new section of scripture in chapter 2. And it talks about the what and how we serve others. So if you're taking notes, this might be something good to write down. These first few verses talk about the what and how we serve others. So let's read the first two verses. And that talks more about the what. The what behind the serving of others. And so it says this. Chapter 2, verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Paul is saying, complete my joy. He's in a prison right now. We've talked about that. He's in prison 
And he's saying, my joy, I already have joy, but complete it by doing these things. And this passage of scripture is calling us to unity above division. It's calling us to unity above division. I don't know about you guys, but probably in the last few years, you haven't seen much unity take place. Whether it be politics or even within their own church, I feel like we haven't seen a lot of unity, but rather division take place. And that's discomforting to see. In fact, if we want to be a church that's on mission, we can't be one that's divided. We can, I would say it's a lie to expect us to be united on every single topic possible. Because we're going to come from different backgrounds. We're going to come from different ways of living where we do things a different way. It's unrealistic to expect us all to be united on the same exact topic. But as Christians, it's not only realistic, but it's expected that we find unity in who Christ is. It doesn't matter what political side you're on. We're all brothers, sisters, sons, and daughters of the one true king. And so Paul is saying, live a life that's united. And I would argue unity is found when we live out God's commands. Unity is found when we live out God's commands. This is what Paul says. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from the love of Christ, any any participation in the spirit of Christ, any affection and sympathy that can be found in Christ, All these things that he's saying, these are the what behind why we serve people. These reasons that he's saying are the reasons we ought to be unified on. It's a call to action. He's not just saying, oh, yeah, maybe believe all these same things and just be passive about it. No, he's saying believe these same things and go do something about it. Because Christians, the walk of a Christian is not all based on the knowledge we know, but it's of the walk out that we do. In fact, I said this last week at the end of our movie night, but the devil is going to know way more than you or I will ever know. But is he a Christian? No. In fact, he's in opposition to Christ because he doesn't walk it out. He's trying to destroy the believer. And when we get in lazy battles of division, we just destroy the church too. And the devil's like, I don't got to do anything to them because they're just doing it to themselves. So we have to walk out in unity. And that starts with living out God's commands and coming together, united in Christ, and offering a comfort to other people through the love of Christ and being affectionate and sympathetic with the hurt, the broken, and serving them regardless of what we believe about them. So to complete Paul's joy, he's saying, do these three things. These are the what behind why we serve. Be of the same mind, have the same love, and be in one accord. Same mind, have the same love, and being in one accord. When we do these things, we don't just do them because Christ told us to do them. That's a good part of it. But we also have to remember there's truth in why we do things. It helps others come to know him. We have to work together in unity. When I was in high school, I did cross country. 
Now, cross country sometimes is not seen as a team sport, but it really, really is. Because if you don't have a team of people working together, you just run your own race. And when you run your own race, you kind of don't do so well. And then by the end of the season, you haven't really pushed each other, you haven't made each other better, and so you kind of have a really bad team. My junior season, I had come off of an injury. I was not the oldest person on the team. Uh, there was a bunch of seniors above me, but they were threatened by the fact that I was faster than all of them. Uh, and, so, and they told me that, and they were just rude to me, and they didn't want to realize the fact that there was me and this other freshman guy that were faster than all of them. And they were like, they were just threatened. And so they treated us like they were threatened. And they kept on seeding, so, or they were sowing seeds of dissension in all of what we were doing. They were trying to pick at every little thing. So anytime I would say something good, they were like, no, we're not going to listen to that, and we're going to go that way. And we ended up being a really bad team. Even though we had a bunch of talented runners, no one wanted to work together. And so no one wanted to make each other better, and no one wanted to put in the hard work when no one was looking. So we were a really bad team. The next year, we were a pretty good team. We were one of the best in the state. I got I to tell you, my senior year's team was really good. And it was all because of one thing. We all met up in June when the season ends in, like, November. Okay? And, like, the season was, like, three months from starting. And we started in June and we said, we have sucked the last, like, five years. We got to be on the same page. I don't care if we don't like each other. We got to be on the same page. Now, most of them were not Christians, but this relates to the Christian walk. You can have all the best Christians in the room that walk it out, do the same thing, but if they're divided on little stupid issues, you're going to make a really bad team. Even if we're not the best Christians in the room or someone knows more theology than the next guy, someone is a pastor, someone has the right degree, who cares? Are you walking it out? Or are you just trying to keep it to yourself and not work with people, even though they might be different from you? In order to be united and make a difference in the kingdom, to serve other people, we have to be united. So now how do we do that? That's what verse 3 and 4 talk about. So let's read it. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In order to do the things above, in order to be in unity, in order to complete the joy of Paul, in order to serve like Christ served, we have to do one thing. And that's live a life of humility. If you're writing down one thing for the whole night in order to serve, you need to be humble. You need to have a life that looks like you live out humility every day. I think COVID, the two years where we were like, okay, so some people wear masks, some people do or don't, some people get the vaccine, some people don't, some people like Trump, some people like Biden. You're proving my point right now. We, weren't, we, were, we didn't walk out a life of humility because it didn't matter what side of the political spectrum or whatever you choose to do or not do. We just hated each other. And I just think that's dumb. 
Because as Christians, we're supposed to love everybody. It doesn't matter where they come from. Jesus came to fulfill this law of love. And he said, it doesn't matter if you're a leper and no one likes you. It doesn't matter if you're the religious zealot. I came to die for you. And he had humility in that moment because he said, I'm God Almighty, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to love you regardless. So what I think we all need is humility. That it doesn't matter what side of any sort of spectrum you may be on, whether you're the athlete, the nerd, the theater kid, the person who goes and skates at the skate park. It doesn't matter who you are. We need to have a place in our heart to be humble. We need to have a place in our heart that doesn't matter what we do. We look out for the interests of others. And we choose humility over what other people identify as. Does that make sense? Does it make sense that the life of a Christian doesn't look at who other people are? It says, you were made in the image of God, so I don't care what you, what you are, who you are, I'm going to serve you. Because I have humility to realize he served me, so I'm going to serve you. And so that's what we're going to talk about in these next few verses, verses 5 through 11. Verse 5. It says this, have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's having the same mindset as Christ. In verses 6 through 7, talk about what that mindset is. It says, having the same mindset in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So this is an important passage, actually, to Scripture, and we're not going to get into too much of the theology of it, but we, we as Christians believe in this concept called the Trinity, which basically believes that God is not just like one person, but he's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they all make up one God. And I'm not going to get into why this kind of looks like, oh, there's multiple gods, but really there's only one, but really... Jesus Christ himself came down in the form of man, and although he was truly still God, he chose to be a servant instead. We see this in the Greek word, and I'm not going to get into this too deeply either, but the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek. And right now what we were, we were reading was written in Greek. And there's this Greek word called, or pronounced morphe, which means the form or nature. It doesn't mean that, and right here it says, well, Christ, let me read it. It says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. Although he was the morphe of God, he did not take equality with God. Now, that's not saying that he, like, kind of looked like God, but was really just a human. Or he was, he really only looked like God, and some people thought he was a human. No, he, at the same time, he was both fully God and fully man. You can write it down, God in a bod. Okay, does that make sense? He took, he was in the form of God. He was fully God, yet took on the form of a servant. And what that means is, although he was God, it wasn't something that he went and bragged about. He wasn't saying like, yo, I'm God, bow down to me. Yo, I'm God. Do what I want. 
He was saying, yo, I'm God. It doesn't matter, though. I'm going to serve you regardless. I think there's this perception of religiosity that God is this mean, white, old guy that's, like, striking people down left and right. But Jesus defied that. He said, I'm God, but I'm not going to use that against you. It says, rather than grasping to be God, he emptied himself. He sacrificed himself. Although he was God, he said, I'm a man just like you. I have my, it looks like I might have struggles. I'm going to struggle with you. He didn't sin, but he was tempted in every single way. He went to the cross. And it says this in verse 8. Let me flip back there so that I can actually read it. These pages are just so thin. It makes it so hard. It says, In being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself to the point of death. And now you might not think it's significant that he went and died on a cross. But the huge point about this is that the law that Moses had written down in Deuteronomy, it says that death on a tree or to be hanged on a tree, a hanged man is cursed by God. So for Jesus to sacrifice himself and to humble himself to the point where he died, even though he was fully God and fully man, and then he did it while hanging on a tree, that told everybody that he was humiliated. That he said, I don't care. I'm willing to be humiliated for all of you. Because I'm willing to humiliate myself to serve you all in order to sacrifice my body and serve all of you. Because you guys can't do it on your own. He recognized that we need a savior. And so he served all of us. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. It doesn't matter if you're the major outcast at school. It doesn't ma matter if you're like the main jock doesn't matter who you are. All it matters is that he sees your beloved, your beloved, your beloved, your beloved. And I died for you, 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 and all of you. And you can either accept it or just deny it completely. And so from there, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but it says that the Father exalted him. That Jesus Christ laid it all down, and the Father exalted him so that we, in response, could do two things. One, serve others. Help them come to youth group. There's an, it's an astounding stat, but most people don't actually come to youth group because they weren't invited to youth group. And that's a form and a way that we can go serve others. And even if they don't come to youth group, that's not the end goal. That's not me trying to say, hey, let's make our youth group bigger. But what I'm trying to get at is even if they don't come to youth group, if you could tell someone about Jesus, about how God came down in the form of man to die for all of you, he's not some guy just waving his finger and trying to get mad at you for every single thing you do. He's someone that came and suffered alongside all of us in order to make us clean, to purify us. 
Because we've all done wrong. We've all done something that is not worthy of being in the presence of God. We do not deserve to be with him. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. I shouldn't be a pastor right now. I don't think any pastor who gets up on stage could say they're worthy of being a pastor. But God redeems. He comes and serves as a lowly servant. And therefore, the Father exalts him, and we get to bow at his feet and worship him. And by worshiping him, he wants us to serve others. Worshiping him doesn't just happen in this room right here. Worshiping him looks like, okay, I got filled up right here. I'm going to go pour it out out there. The church was meant to not just be within four walls, but it was meant to go out into the rest of the world. And because he served us, we ought to serve other people. It doesn't matter if they're broken or if they seem like they got it all together. Everybody needs a savior, and that's Jesus Christ. That's what's good. That's the good news that we get to preach to other people. And one way that Jesus came and served was he washed the feet of his disciples. I want to show you some pictures of how Jesus washed the feet of Judas. This picture shows that Jesus, the one on his knees, God Almighty, knelt down and washed the feet of the guy who has the money in his hand who's going to betray him. It says this, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, he's saying this to all his disciples, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should be, do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is saying, I washed your feet. I served you, now go wash other people's feet. Go serve them. And I have to believe, and there's more pictures here, that Jesus didn't just wash Judas' feet, but he washed Pilate's feet, the one that sentenced him to die. He served him who sentenced him to die. He would have washed the Roman centurion's feet the one who flogged him, the one that almost put him to death and then did put him to death on that cross. But he also washed and served the feet of the worshiper, the one, all of us in here, that is willing to lay their life down and say that they follow Jesus. And the form of a worshiper looks different. Maybe they're vaccinated. Maybe they're not vaccinated. He still washes that feet, the feet of those people. And maybe you disagree. And maybe you wash the feet of the person that holds the pride flag or the drunk and the druggie. Or maybe the homeless person that 
you don't want to acknowledge as a human being. Or maybe it's the person that went from the streets and is now in prison. Or maybe it's the police officer that threw them in prison. Maybe it's the person that's higher up that says all the rules like Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Or maybe it's a different higher up like Vladimir Putin or the people that live in Ukraine that are suffering because of his actions. The point is, it doesn't matter who it is, he washes the feet of everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, he died and wants to serve you. And if you have a problem with that, then maybe you should check your heart. Maybe you got to ask yourself, who do I need to serve? 